Here we're going to start here on the bottom of Memtetim Adbet by the two dots. It's uh, four lines from the bottom. Mark quotes the Mishnah and says, One can use for Hatmana, these bowls, tufts of wool, but they are not permissible to carry. They're still muksa. So Amar Rava, Rava seems to be qualifying that statement. It says, It's only if you didn't utilize them for Hatmana. If you did utilize them for Hatmana, then they are no longer muksa and you can carry them around. So it was beginner's luck. It's first day in the Beit Midrash, and he poses this question to Rava. That's one translation of it. The other possibility is that it was Rav Idi. They used to call him Barbe Rav. It's the other possibility of who posed the question to Rava. He says, the Mishnah says, Tomnim It's the direct quote from the Mishnah. And then it says, Who will say, how do you deal with it? You pick up the cover, and they fall away by themselves. So it's clear that even though you're using the Ratmana, they still have a din of Mar. You want to say it or you want to phrase it this way, this is the way to phrase it. Tosafot doesn't love the girsa here, and I'll show you why in a second. It's only true if he wasn't miyachedem for atmana. We have a similar statement. As long as he We're talking about here, we're talking about wool that is from the warehouse, that is made for sale, that is definitely of commercial quality and quantities, and therefore... That's what we're talking about, has a default status of muksa. Now, going back to what was Rava's statement. Rava's statement was, That's talking about wool in general. As I'm about normal wool. Any type of normal wool, if you utilize it for hatumana, then it no longer has the shame muksa. It's, you've now used it for something on Shabbat that is mutar. It has utility on Shabbat. It's not muksa anymore. On the other hand, our Mishnah is speaking about a case of this heftig. This commercial type of wool, which for sure retains its status as muksa, even if you use it for hatmana, because either of its price or its normal utility. But if you are miyachdan hatmana, yachdan here means you designate them to be used from here forward as material for hatmana. You've taken it out of that category and now made it into something that you're going to use every Shabbat. You've changed the status of it. So whereas by regular wool, Simple usage of it for atmana makes it into something that is mutar letaltel b'shabbat. And then this type of commercial wool, this warehouse wool, where you normally, or the default status would be muksa and made for sale. If you just use it for atmana, that's not enough. You have to actually designate it for atmana to change its status. And that'll be the difference. So now if you go back, we have two statements from Rava. And the first one, which we thought was modifying the Mishnah, has nothing to do with the Mishnah. It's an independent statement. That's why Tosafot doesn't love this gear server, itmar, hochi itmar. If you want to say it, say it this way. Because the way the Gemara has it now is that it has nothing to do with the Mishnah. It's not modifying the Mishnah. So the first statement is an independent statement, which Rava says, regular wool. It's muksa unless you use it. You use it, it's not muksa anymore. Heftek, that's our Mishnah. Mishnah, you need yichdan hatmana, which is the second statement of Rava, that if you're them to use them from here to four, they will be used for the materials ratmana, then they lose their shame muksa. Otherwise, just using them once, it's not enough to get rid of their shame muksa. We have a brighter that supports that understanding. So here it's clear that we're talking about this type of wool. 
But on the other hand, if the Balabite specifically designates them to be used, Tautalino then they're no longer muksa. So you see that you can change the status, but it takes some sort of active machshava in order to change their status. The default status is not just because you use them, they're not muksa. You have to specifically state that they're going to be used for this purpose going forward, and then they don't have a shame muksa. Uh, correct, it would be Moksa Mahmat Chiseron Kis, most likely. Now you don't have any dispensation to move it. Wool itself is Moksa Mahmat Chiseron Kis because it's expensive. It's something you're going to use for sale, and you wouldn't otherwise use it for anything else. So, Tano Rabba Barbachana Kamedarav. Chariochel Dekel, Shigidran Leitzim. He cut down these wooden pieces of the palm tree to use for wood. Chariochel Dekel are once the Lulavim hardened. They dry out and they harden, their leaves fall away, and the shidra, and the spine, turns into wood. If you cut those down to be used for wood, but then, you decide after the fact that you're going to use them to sit on rather than for wood. So, according to the Tanakhama, you have to do some sort of activity to change their status. You cut them for wood, wood is muksa on Shabbat, and the default status of these items would be muksa, that you cannot utilize, utilize them on Shabbat. But then you decide, you know what, I really want to use them to sit down. It's not enough to say that you want to use them to sit down. You must do some sort of activity, which is tzarech kasher. You have to tie them, you have to bundle them to make them useful as seats, or to be able to sit down on them. Don't have to tie them prior to Shabbat. Who tani who He brought this brighter and said, Itmar. Now we have this machloket in the form of the Amoraim. Rav Amar Kosher. Rav says you have to tie them before Shabbat in order to remove their shame mukse. Shmuel Amar Chushev. All he has to do is in his mind say, I want it to be for Shabbat, I want it to use for sitting on it, that's enough. Rav Asi Amar, Yoshev, Afopishlo Kishev, Afopishlo Chishev. Now truthfully, Rashi has a girsa here of Yashav, which would make a lot more sense, if he has used them. Alright, if he has sat on them, that's enough. It's a indication of his change of mind, but he doesn't have to do any activity. He doesn't have to tie them, he doesn't have to think on it. If he simply sat on them before Shabbat, that is sufficient to be megaledato, to make us understand what he's thinking. Rav is like the Tanakam of the bright that we brought before, which he requires an action in order to change the status from mukse to something that is utility on Shabbat. Shmuel nami Shmuel is like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel who says you don't need to tie it, but you still need some sort of machshava. You need to have active machshava thoughts about this item to say I want to use it on Shabbat. Ravasi damar keman. Who is Ravasi's position following? Who damar ki tana? He's following this tana. Tanya yotzim bekorin ubetzipa bezman shitzavan or tzavan b'shem and according to Rashi bekarchan be'mishicha. Person can go out with pikorin or like tufts of wool utzipa is flakes of wool. Tosafot says that a tzipah is actually a wig. It's interesting how he describes it. It says, kippah. And you put it on top of a bald person, you have this kippah that sits on top with hair coming out of it, that basically a toupee of some sort. So these items, whether it's that he, tzavan normally means to dye them or color them. Over here, if you have the gears of the word shemen in there, it must be that he pasted it, basted it with oil. and tied them with a string. Then he can go out with them. Go out with them, as Rashi says, this is used to cover over scabs or cuts on your arms or your legs in order to prevent the clothing from serrating or rubbing up against them and causing the 
wound to open up, the equivalent of a band-aid or bandage of some sort, if you had already done the tzavan and kachamishicha, they are permissible to go out with them. Lo tzavan, velo kachamishicha, in yutzin behen. Then you may not go out with them because you haven't designated them in any way to be utilized as quote-unquote clothing on Shabbat. In their raw state, these items would be muksim. It's only because now you need it for the specific purpose of covering your cut. How do I know that you've designated it or you plan to use it that way? It's because either it's a van b'shemen, which is that he oiled them, made them into something that's smooth, or whether he colored them, dyed them, and then cut, t- tied them with a string to show that, that he's going to use it as a bandage on Shabbat. So here all he did was some sort of activity that indicates he's going to wear it, or he is wearing it prior to Shabbat. And that is sufficient. So that's what the writer says here. If he goes out, wears them before Shabbat at all, if he did none of the above, then he is permitted to go out with them. So that's exactly what Ravasi said before. Even if you don't do all these preparatory actions to the item in order to indicate you're going to use it, the fact that you wore it is enough. That's indication enough to show that it's not muksa before Shabbat. Amravashi, Avananamitanina, we also have a Mishnah that supports that. Kash Shalgabe Amita. Straw that is on top of the bed. Lo You cannot move it directly because it's muksa. Straw in general. It's not something that is utilized on Shabbat. Therefore, its default status is muksa. You have it on the bed, and you want to use the straw to lay on, to become the mattress or the pillow, but you only left it piled up on the bed. So therefore, it remains muksa. You can't move it with your hand. What you do is you lie on top of it, and you move around enough until it flattens out under you, because that's tiltol min ha'atzad. Which is permissible. Aval, imaya, machal behema. If they were edible, usable for the animal. Oh, sheilav kar osadin mi Or you placed upon it a sheet or in a, a pillow before nightfall. Minanobiado. Then you can move it directly. Shmamina. There you can see that the fact that you put it into use before Shabbat is enough to remove it. Shay muksa. So even though generally straw is considered to be muksa, if you place a sheet over it, indicating that you're going to lie on it, or, I mean, obviously, if you do lie on it, or you put it as a pillow and you utilize it as a pillow, that's enough to remove its shame muksa. You don't have to do something active or have any specific machshava. If you just use it, you lay on it for, you know, a little bit before Shabbat, that's enough to designate it as being non-muksa anymore. Here he says you have to have a sheet on it because the sheet is indication that he will sleep on it. He's going to use it as a mat. If he just lays on top of it, and that's his plan, it seems to be sufficient. It's not, I just think they're talking about derech It's the normal way that people do. Normal people, way people don't lay on the straw directly, they put a sheet on top of it. If it is, that's what the Mishnah said. The Mishnah said, if it is edible and food for animals, then it's okay. Then there is no question of muksa. We're talking about here when it's not machal behema. It's a straw that's not edible at this point or it's not useful for the animals at this point. Okay, We saw before that we have three shitot now. We have the Tanakama, who says you have to take action. If Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel says that a makshava is sufficient. And then we had Ravasi, who is subscribing to this other Tana, who says that if as long as you utilize it before Shabbat, that's enough. Now, who is the Tanakama of Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel? The one who argues on Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel in that first Brayta that we quoted. Who is that Tanakama? So it's Rabbi Hanina ben Akiva. He went to a place. Cut them down for wood. Go and have in mind 
that we should be able to sit on them tomorrow. I don't know why he permitted this. I don't know if it was because the dispensation had to do with the fact that it was going to be a wedding there, or because it was a Beta Avel. But for whatever reason, he took a shortcut. He gave us a dispensation to use Machshava to make him the Ru'uyim for utilization. Which are both mitzvot. Because they were mitzvot, he gave them that right to do it through Machshava. They were asukim. They were involved in the preparations. They didn't have time to go and tie all the bundles up to make them Ru'uyim for Shabbat. So therefore he gave them permission just to do it through Machshava. In a normal situation where you don't have the tirda, the preparations for the mitzvah, kashar in, if he ties them, then it works. Lo kashar, lo. If he doesn't tie, it doesn't. And that'll be the Tanakhama of Shimugamliel that Rab subscribed to, which is that in order to remove the shame muksa, you have to take an active, you have to take an action. You have to do an activity. You have to tie them to show that you're taking away their shame muksa. I'm Rav Yuda. Person can bring in a bucket full of dirt into his house, pour it down on the floor, and then use it on Shabbat. Why is that so special? Of course, he brought the dirt and he plans on using it. It's because their floors are made out of dirt. So you pour dirt on the floor, it doesn't look like it's anything different than the floor itself. That's what the Gemara said, Darish Marzutra, Mishmed Marzutra Rabbo. That That's only if he specifies a location where he's going to keep it to utilize over Shabbat. If he simply pours it out on the ground, we assume he's just improving his floor. It's more flooring, his planted people are going to step on it, and it's going to flatten it out, and it'll be part of the floor itself. The only way to have it be designated for separate uses, to have a specific place where you keep it, and therefore you know that that's what you're going to use over Shabbat, and it's designated for usage, it's no longer muksit. Who's that like? That's like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. It's like Rabbanah Amrei Be'inan Masa. Rabbanah or the Tanaka. I'm going to say you need to do something active. You have to do an activity to show that this dirt is not muksa. Shigun Bleil simply says that Machshava is sufficient. So, so to over here. The fact that you designate a corner for it, that's enough to take away shame muksa because you've had a Machshava to use it over Shabbat. I'm going to look at Papa, Filu Taim Rabbanan. Even Rabbanan can subscribe to this. I can look at Rabbanan to be in Masa. Let me do the bar of Masa. You only require a Masa when you could do a Masa. What's What's the alternative over here? What mice are you going to do? All you do is you bring it in, you dump it on the ground, there's nothing else to do. There's not like by the wood where you could tie it up or you can bundle it. You can do something that shows that you're not planning on using it for wood anymore. But something where there is no action that you could take or alternative action you could take, maybe not. Let us say that this is a machloket tanaim. Because we have, you're allowed to scrape down, wash the kelim, except for silver, which is, it's really white earth or really tartar that's deposited in wine vessels. That tartar that they used to use, it was abrasive, and they used to clean the silver with it. On those items, everything else you can clean with, but except for this one item. Ha, netter v'chol, if it's natron, or sand, mutar, that would be totally fine. Vatanya, netter v'chol asur. Natron and sand are considered to be problematic. My love, amigifligate, this is their machloket. The marsa and masse. One of them requires you to do some activity to it. And there's no possibility of doing sand. Net there, you can't do anything to them to say that they're not muksa. So there's no bundling. There's no extra activity that you would do. 
Therefore, they remain muksa on Shabbat because you can't do a masa. Marzara lo in masa. The other one says you can't do a masa. Therefore, there is no masa to do here, and they're not the muksa anymore. It says lo the kuliyama lo in masa. Everybody agrees you don't need action to change their status. Lokasha. So what's the machlokat here? Ha, Rabbi Yehuda. This is Rabbi Yehuda. Demar davar sheinu mitkavein asur. But you don't intend for something, then it's still asur on Shabbat. Shimon damar davar sheinu mitkavein mutar. And when it's something that you do not intend for, the consequence you do not intend for, then it is mutar on Shabbat. I was going to say, but he, but he wants to post. All right. When he's scraping them down, and the silver is a little soft, he's mimachek. Mimachek is an av melacha. So that you're not allowed to do on Shabbat. If you use this gartikon, that will for sure, without question, cause mimachek, smoothing out of the item on Shabbat. And that's impermissible according to everybody. The question here is this neter v'chol, which is somewhat abrasive. He wants to clean the silver. He doesn't necessarily want to smooth the silver out. So he uses these abrasive materials to wash it, to clean it. But he doesn't intend to be mimachik. It might be that it happens sometimes that it's mimachik. But that's davar she'eno mitkavein. It's not a psikresh. It's not definite that it'll happen. But it could happen. If it does happen, he does not intend for it. So that's a machlok that we know between Rabbi Yudin and Rabbi Shimon when it comes to melechet Shabbat. Davar she'eno mitkavein is, according to Rabbi Yudin, asur. Davar she'eno mitkavein, according to Rabbi Shimon, is mutar. So the usage of netar and chol over here, according to Rabbi Shimon, is permissible, because it's not for sure that you're going to be mimechaik, so therefore you can use it. Rabbi Yehuda says, there's a possibility that you might do that, you can't use it. That's a sur. But what did you establish here? The hada shari Rabbi Shimon. The brayta that says it's mutar is like Rabbi Shimon. Let's look at the continuation of that brayta. Nishayin Abbasa says, you may not use them to wash your hair as shampoo. Rabbi Shimon says, no problem with that, using that as a shampoo. It's not. We have a Mishnah, Nazir. This is not on Shabbat itself. But a Nazir Chufeif, Umifas Face, Avalosareik. A Nazir who has a restriction against removing hair from his head. He's allowed to shampoo. He's allowed to wash or part his hair. Avalosareik. He can't comb it. He combs it out, a thin comb. He's definitely going to pull hair out of his head, which is impermissible. That's a Psikreshe. He's not allowed to do it. On the other hand, to shampoo or to simply part the hair. There, there's no definitive outcome that he's going to pull hair out, or there's going to be hair that's released. And therefore, it's permitted, according to Rabbi Shimon, who says, Dover is mutar. So over here, we see you're allowed to use these items, and we don't worry about the hair coming out. So why would the Brayta before say that it is problematic, if you think it's authored by Rabbi Shimon? Eloha v'ha Rabbi Yehudai. Both Brightot are Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda. And there are two Tanaim, According to the position of Yehuda, Haitana alibid Rabbi Yehuda savar karir, Haitana alibid Rabbi Yehuda savar lo karir. It's just basically a machloket then in the mitziut about how does sand and net their work. Can it smooth the item out or not? Does it work or not? If you think it works, then it's even though it's davrishenu mitkavein. According to Rabbi Yehuda, that is asur. If you don't think it works, then there's no problem here because you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do any malocha, and therefore they're permissible to use on. Shabbat. Now, with regards to this Nazir, I just mentioned it in passing, we'll get to this later in the Mesechta with Psikreshe, but there is a large Shabbat Aradvaz with regards to this issue by the Nazir, brushing one's hair on Shabbat, combing one's hair on Shabbat. What is considered to be Psikreshe? Part of the discussion about Psikreshe is you have two options. One option is that it's going to come out and you won't do the Malacha. The other option is that you will come out and you will do the Malacha. So as long as there's a possibility that the melacha will not happen, that's called davar she'enu mitkavein. If the only option is that what you do is going to be a sur, that's called psikreshe. How do I know which is which? When does that threshold happen? The Ravaz discusses 
is how far-fetched does the other possibility have to be? If it's 99% sure that it's going to happen, but there is a 1% chance that you could do something mutar, is that enough to say that it's not a psikreshe? Or do you have to have a reasonable assumption that you could do the alternative, which would be mutar? And it's a question about how reasonable does the alternative have to be, and that's what the Rebaz discusses over here in terms of brushing one's hair. You could say in a far-fetched case, some crazy scenario, that he wouldn't pull hair out if he combed it with a comb, a thin comb. Is that enough to rely on? Or is it, no, that's not sufficient. You have to have a real plausibility of the alternative happening in order to make it that it's not psikreshe. But just know that this discussion over here plays heavily into that distinction between Deverein Mitzkabein and psikreshe about... What is that called threshold percentage that has to be possible or plausible in terms of doing Dabar Shal Heter? By Mayim Kimta, Kirabi Huda. So now the says, Oh, you established now the brightest Rabbi Huda. what are you going to do with the rest of the bright Mutar. You're allowed to wash your hands, your face, your feet with this Neter and Kol. Ha, Meaver Seyar. It's going to cause some removal of hair. It's clear that the problem of using it for shampoo is that it's going to cause some of the hair to be removed. And that's problematic. So how could the latter part of the bright to say, oh, by hands, feet, and face, it's okay. This is Rabbi Yehuda. Even Davr Shainam Tkavein is problematic for Rabbi Yehuda. So, Iba'yitayma b'katan, b'yitayma b'isha, b'yitayma b'saris. Talking about someone who does not have facial hair. Someone who doesn't have this problem. So either a katan, a minor, or a woman... Or a saris, someone who's impotent that doesn't reach the point of puberty that they don't grow facial hair. That person can wash their face because we're not fearful of them removing hair. There is no hair to remove. We're talking about a crushed brick, the dust from a crushed brick. That is mutar. Rashi translates this as psolet shumshumin. That is the residue, the leftovers of the sesame. Uh, just looking from the word, I would say it looks like it has something to do with jasmine. Dust of the crushed pepper corns is mutar. That about barad, that is mutar. My bardo, what is that? This bardo is tilta olo, third ohalo, a third tilta aso, and a tilta sigle. So that is one third aloe, one third aso, which is hadas myrtle, and one third sigle, which is violet. You can see that in Rashi, he calls it viol. That ratio, and if you have that, then it's mutar to use on Shabbat. As long as aloe is not the majority ingredient in here, then it is fine. Aloe? It's a, uh, like, thick liquid. Yeah, gel-like. Yeah. What's the problem with aloe? It's a suid labain, keborit, seyar. It's to whiten, to cleanse, like borit, umeshir seyar. It removes hair. So that's the problem. This aloe, the problem of using it on Shabbat is that it takes out hair. So as long as it's not the majority ingredient, we don't worry about it. Alright, so all these items that we mentioned before, all these items are permissible to wash your face with them, to Cleanse your face, we don't worry about them taking out the hair, even though all of them are abrasive in some way. These all are materials that they used to cleanse, and unlike our soap today, they were using things that were abrasive in order to move the dirt or that which was on them. They do still have some of these stores have these natural types of cleansers that involve have like sand or abrasive items in them to clean the dead skin and to remove the dead skin. All these items here are these abrasive items, and these Amoraim are saying that they are permissible to use on Shabbat. Because they don't necessarily result in the removal of hair, except for the one exception we say here, when there's aloe, too much aloe in there. Otherwise, all these items are permissible to use to wash with on Shabbat.
What is the din with regards to, Rashi says, smashing these olives against a stone. These are bitter olives. And by pressing them or smashing them against the stone, they will become sweetened. They will improve their flavor somehow. And whatever it is that allows it or works over here, are you allowed to do this on Shabbat? Wait a minute, who says you're allowed to do it during a weekday? Forget about Shabbat. Why? That we don't let you do it because it's going to cause you to lose some of this food here. It's the mistreatment of the food because the food's going to get ruined and then you won't be able to eat it. It won't be edible anymore. Let's say this argument is not First, can use bread for whatever he needs. Whatever his needs are, he may use the bread, even though it's not eating. Or when he uses it, it won't be edible anymore. No, it says no. You can separate. You can differentiate between these two. Pot, lo isa. Bread does not become disgusting even after you use it for something else. You know, say you rest something on top of it. Use it as a stand. The bread remains bread and you can eat it afterwards. It's not a problem. Hanim isa. These have a liquid involved with them. Anytime you have something that has a liquid involved, then they get dirty, they get disgusting if you use them or you do something else with them. Meimar marzutra ravashi, abayatve. They were sitting together. They brought before them that soap, this barda. Ravashi washed their hands with it. He didn't wash his hands or his face with it. Do you don't subscribe to what Sheshit says, barda shori? That he said, you're allowed to use this on Shabbat. Rav Mordechai Bar Minei Demar. Tafil Bechal Nami Lo Doesn't hold of it even on a weekday. Savalaki Aitana Detanyo Migarer Adam Gildei Tzoav Gildei Makah Shal Besarot. Person's allowed to scrape off the feces that's hardened on him or the scabs from a cut. Bishvil Tzarot. It's bothering him. If it's causing him discomfort, then he's allowed to remove it. In Bishvil Apolt. If it's to make himself look more beautiful, a sewer. What's the problem with making yourself look more beautiful? She says, That certain sort of primping, uh, preparing oneself, is considered to be the uh, area of women, and it's inappropriate for men to do this. Over here, when they do this type of activity, they are acting the equivalent to what we would call wearing women's clothing. They're taking up activities that are usually done by women. So over here, that would not be permissible. He's simply doing it to beautify himself, which is an activity that we wouldn't permit for a man to do. Ve'inu, k'man savrua. Correct, correct. Many of these things. Dyeing one's hair, putting on makeup, plucking hair, certain things that the Gemara says in other places are problematic for men to do because those are considered to be women's activities. Now, ve'inu, k'man savrua, but they still used it. So what's the story with the other two Amoraim? person can wash his hands, his feet, and his face to beautify himself for his Creator. That all your activities should be done for the man Hashem. As Rashi says, a person is created and therefore in order to give kavod, give respect to his Creator, he has to present the Tzalem Elohim in the proper way. Because he's as if he's presenting God's image to the world. And someone has to present themselves in a proper way. And therefore it's permitted to cleanse oneself, to make oneself properly adorned and have a face that can be shown to the public. Rashi brings a second interpretation, which is, person who sees someone beautiful, you make a bracha on them. So we see that there's some value in that that's going to cause a Kiddush Hashem. If a person is beautiful and acts appropriately, that's also a Kiddush Hashem. How far that goes is a good question. How much can you do? Bishvil Kono versus 
It's real personal beauty. Here the Gemara gives no definition to it of where that threshold is. But there's some line between proper presentation versus beautifying oneself to the point where it's considered to be a women's activity. I'm saying it's somewhat subjective here. It doesn't seem like the Gemara has an objective line. But right, the difference between hygiene and primping, vanity. Is this whole section talking about Shabbat? Well, he said, why did he not do it? The Gemara answered, he wouldn't even do it on Chol. It had nothing to do with Shabbat. He wouldn't put this soap on. Because he considered it to be an activity that was not permissible even on a weekday. So then the Gemara says, well, what about them? What did they think? They, they had two issues. One is Chol. They overcame that by saying that this is hygienic. They're preparing themselves to be presentable to the public. What about Shabbat? They have the other statement before by the Amorim that it's permitted to use on Shabbat. So that's two stages. It's permissible on Chol. Once I know it's permissible on Chol, is it also permissible on Shabbat? The answer is yes, because it doesn't take off here. There's a very, very important Tosafot here. It's fundamental to today. It's something that's changed probably in the last years in Halacha. And that's something that this Tosfot says. The Gemara says over here you're allowed to remove certain items because of pain. Because they cause you discomfort. Tosfot says over here, Bishvil Tzaro, If the only pain you have is that you're embarrassed to appear in public like this, that is considered to be pain. There's no greater pain than that. Until in the last years, and this is even in the medical field, psychological or mental pain was not considered to be a medical condition. It wasn't considered to be tsar. Tsar meant physical pain. That's the way the Gemara views it. That's the way all the poskim view it. Tsar, when we talk about pain or any dispensation that comes from pain, that's talking about physical pain. Mental or psychological pain was not a consideration in the halachic process. Both with the advancement in the medical field to also consider psychological pain as being a real pain and a real factor. So too now, Aloha has moved in that direction that psychological pain has become more and more a factor in making decisions. Again, whether there's certain times that you have dispensations on Shabbat, certain times you can violate certain alochot when there's pain. Does that include psychological pain? This Tosafot says yes, psychological pain is on par with physical pain. And so, for instance, can a man who is prematurely gray, can they dye their hair? Because over there, they think it's going to hurt their shidduch chances, it's going to affect them. Similar things we have by women, who unfortunately lost a husband very young, and they want to go date, and they say wearing a shaito is going to impede their ability to get shidduchim. Their emotion is also matir that she can take off the shaito in order to get a shidduch. We see that the psychological pain, the embarrassment that a person feels does give dispensations that would otherwise be only available to something with physical pain. That obviously has to be treaded on carefully because that can go to the nth degree and be mad everything because someone's embarrassed. It has to be something where it makes sense and within the, the realm of normalcy. But a fundamental tosafot here in two lines says something that's incredible, that psychological pain has the same status as physical pain. Right, next uh, part of the Gemara. So we said in the Mishnah, how do you take it out of the Hatmona? So the Gemara says you just take it out straight. Rabbi Lazar ben Azari says you have to tip it over because we're afraid of it collapsing in. So I'm Rabbi Abba, I'm Rabbi Khir Bashi. Everybody agrees if you had this insulated hole, and then the sides, the insulation on the side falls into the middle, you know how to fix it. It's done. You can't put it back on Shabbat. You've lost your insulated hole on Shabbat. Our Mishnah says, the say you can take it out and put it back. What's the case? If the guma did not collapse, I mean the insulation on the walls didn't fall into the hole, then the Rabbanon makes sense over here that you can take it back. What's the reasoning behind Rabbanon ben Azariah? Even if the insulation on the sides falls in, you still have to fix according to the Chachamim. 
And that's what the Chiddush in the Mishnah is. The Chomim say, yes. Rabbi Lezim says, no. Rabbi says, well, it's still intact. Do we worry about this event? Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says we worry about the fact that it might fall apart. Therefore, we don't let you take it out fully. We force you to tip it on its side and not remove it from the hole to avoid that problem ever happening. On the other hand, the Chachamim believe we don't worry about that eventuality. We let you take it out. If it does fall in, you can't put it back. But we don't worry about the fact that it's normally going to fall in or will fall in. You take it out, you put it back like you normally do. Amravuna, hi, silly kusta. This saligusta, which Rashi defines as esev shu na'el ulariach. Something that's beautiful to look at, to smell. You're allowed to take it out on Shabbat. So it's something that normally is planted, which on Shabbat would be a sword to remove from its place, because then you'd be oker, davar migidulo, you'd be taking something out of where it's growing. If before Shabbat, he is datza, he puts it into the dirt, shalfa pulls it out again, Father Dutzah then puts it back in. Then he's made it to the point where it's loose. It's not really planted. He can pull it in, pull it out. No problem. Sharia. That is mutar. Vilav asir. If not, then it's a sword because then you're pulling it out of its place of growth. Amashmol. Hai sakina debene urbe. This knife that they to store it, they stick it between the rows of bricks. So that's in a house. How do they store their knife? They had nowhere to put it, so they stuck it into the wall in order to store the knife. So when you stick it into the wall, if datsa shelf of other datsa. If you stab it into the wall, remove it, and then put it back in again, Sharia, you can do that on Shabbat. Vilav, if not, Asur, because then you are, what called Boneh, you're doing some sort of physical improvement in the wall of the house by creating a hole that you're placing the knife into. Or by removing the knife, you're opening up that hole. Marzutra, Vite, Maravashimar, Bigordita, Dekani, Shaper Dami. If you're talking about a case of Kanim, of the Dikalim, of the palm trees, they come out of the trunk, and they come out very tightly together, and there's a small gapping between them, that you could stick in the knife without any problem. Shaper Dami. That you could do even without preparation, because there is a natural gapping there, and you could put it in. The alternative Girsa and Rashi is that it's just Kanim, which refers to reeds. These are tightly packed reeds, and you're allowed to insert the knife in between. And as Rashi points out, we don't worry about the fact that Shemi Yigroya Klipa, that maybe somehow that'll remove the skin, the bark. And then it'd be chayav for mochek. So even though there is an insertion of the night which has some resistance, nevertheless, we don't assume that that is going to cause any problem. What's very interesting from this is a locha that's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch in Siman Shin Yud Dalet, Si'if Aleph, Haskins this way, If there was a knife that was wedged into a barrel on Erev Shabbat, between the planks of the barrel, he has a knife wedged in there. You can take that knife in and out. Because he has no intention of widening that area to make it a hole or to make it an opening. The Ramah says about that, As long as he's done it already once while it was before Shabbat. Like our Gemara says over here that you put it in, took it out and put it in. If you never did that, it's a problem because by definition when you pull it out, it's going to create a hole. Because you're going to make a hole or an opening for the barrel. Because now you're making a mouth or an opening for the barrel. So here you have a machloket between the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah with regards to this issue of the knife being wedged into the barrel. Why is it that there is a difference of opinion over here? We have a Gemara here. A Gemara is pretty clear that when you're in a tight space, and by pulling it out, it would create a hole that's problematic. Like, for instance, with the house. How come the Shulchan Aruch Paskins otherwise? So the Mishnah Brua explains over here that the Shita 
of the Shulchan Aruch is premised on a belief that when it comes to Psik Reshe Bidine Dirabonon, when you have something that will be an, an unintentional automatic outcome with a Din Dirabonon, that that is Mutar. There is no Psik Reshe in Dine Dirabonon. Psik Reshe is only applicable by Dine Dioraita. The Ramah obviously argues and says even in Din Dirabonon there's a Din of Psik Reshe. Over here we're talking about the barrel. And as the Mishnah Burr explains, when you open up the hole, you're not opening it up for a bi-directional mouth. And therefore, it's only an Iser Dirabanan. And here, you're violating an Iser Dirabanan with Psik So the Machaber says that that's fine, because there is no Psik when it comes to a Din Dirabanan. On the other hand, the Ramah says that's problematic. The Mishnah Bura says that the only time that we will subscribe to the position of the Shulchan Aruch, that Psik does not apply in a Din Dirabanan, is that when we're talking about a Melacha Shein Tzricha Gufa. So if it's a Melacha Shein Tzricha Gufa that results in an Iser Dirabanan, that if it's Mikalkel, that there is no problem. So you have a combination of Lachshin Tzrichel Gufa and Mikalkel, which result or leave an Isur Derabanan, there we won't worry about Psikresha. But in general, Psikresha applies equally to Dine Deraita as it does to Dine Derabanan. Amalei Rav Mordechai the Rav Meiti Rav Tina to Yufta. He asked a question on this. Hatomein Lefet Utsnonot. Someone who buries a turnip or a radish, Tachar Egefen, under the vines. In the vineyard, under the vines, he puts them there. They used to do that to store. That was their ability to store vegetables. These are root vegetables. So what does he do? He takes them and he buries them in the ground in order to store them. Imaya Mikzat Alav Megulim. If some of the leaves were still sticking out, Eno Choshesh. And he doesn't have to worry about Lomishum Kil Ayim. And you're allowed to take them out on Shabbat. According to Rashi, the leaf sticking out is only relevant with regards to Shabbat. All the other items, you didn't plant them. There's nothing to talk about over here. You didn't put them in. There's no problem if you don't plant them, because kilayim would be a problem with vegetables next to a vineyard. That's not a problem if you didn't plant them. Same thing, it's not called working the ground if you store things in the ground on Shvit. That's not working the field. That's permissible on Shvit. Also, Maser. For Maser, you're not Chayav in Maser just because you put them in the ground because you're storing them there. You're not planting them. For Shabbat, you have a problem because the earth itself, the dirt is Muksa. So in order to be able to remove them, you need a handle to pull them out of the ground. If you don't have a handle, you're not going to be able to get them out of the ground. You're not going to be able to get through the dirt to pull them out. So that's for Shabbat. But what do you see here? You see here, there's no requirement of placing them, taking them out, placing them in again. There's no demand that you make them loose enough that they come out. Simply place them in the ground is enough, and you can pull them out on Shabbat without any problem. We don't have this demand that it be worked on first, so that's loose. And that'll be a question on what we just said before. So now, of course, Tosfa points out over here, this is a case with nothing rooted. If it roots, then you have a problem here. We're obviously talking about when they haven't taken root at all. The Oroch, in the name of Rav Haigon, has a different gear. So here he says, Not that the leaves are exposed, but a portion of the turnip or the radish is exposed over here. And that would apply to all of these items. If you believe that's the girsah, that's what determines that it's not called planting. Planting is you bury the whole thing. When you leave it partially exposed, that shows that you're storing it and not planting it. According to them, that would apply to all of these items over here and not just to the din of Shabbat. Okay, we'll stop over here.